welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Drusilla from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague and guest, <laughs> Peter Bankshaw, GP and Clinical Commissioning Group uh, Mental Health Lead. That's great, because today our topic is happiness, Peter, and I know this is something that you've uh, studied and looked at in quite detail. Well, we've done a lot of podcasts on negative things, haven't we? How to deal with anxiety and depression uh, and things like that. So I thought, let's look at something positive. And uh, so in preparation to uh, to speaking to this, I've been doing some research and there's a lot of research out there on what actually makes us happy and some of the pitfalls that uh, most of us uh, fall into when trying to achieve happiness. Great. So thank you, Peter. How far back does this go? Is this something that's very 20th century or 21st century or are we thinking longer? We're thinking a couple of millennia longer. So as it seems almost everything else, it's the science of happiness started with the ancient Greeks. And so Aristotle, uh, way back, recognised in particular, two different types of happiness. And these two distinctions still form the basis of our study of happiness today. He called them hedonia and eudaimonia, which is Greek. And of course, we still use hedonistic to mean that short-term fizzy pop moment of happiness that we get. And And that was very much the distinction he drew. And what do those words mean uh, if we translate them into English? Because my Greek's not very good these days. My Greek is terrible. I, I didn't study Greek. So um, basically, hedonia is is pleasure. So it's associated with what feels good, fulfilling desires, experiencing enjoyment, a short-term hit of pleasure. Whereas eudaimonia, and I apologies to people who do speak Greek if I pronounce that wrongly, is meaning. So... That's well-meaning, feeling that your life has value and purpose. It's much more to do with fulfilling responsibilities, investing in long-term goals, concern for the welfare of other people, and living up to personal ideas. Interesting. So something that brings us fulfillment and, and joy at a much deeper level than just pleasures of the moment, which can come and which can go. Absolutely. And I think a lot of us, if we seek happiness, we seek the hedonia, we seek the the short-term pleasure hits, and then wonder why long-term we're not actually feeling happier. Um, The psychologists now have added a a third component called engagement, and this is commitment and participation in different areas of life. And I, I know this is something we dealt with in many podcasts, isn't it, where people have found that being Uh, dedicated to a particular cause, uh, gives them that long-term satisfaction. Um, We we like to think so, Peter, but is there any, and and common sense tells us it's true, but is there any research that actually backs this up? There really is, and and there are lots of um, papers that have been done on happiness. It seems an unlikely thing to research, but, but lots of people have done research on it. And they found, for instance, Uh, that if you buy something, that gives you the short-term buzz of of hedonia, of short-term pleasure, Um, but that it it doesn't wear, it doesn't last, it wears off very quickly. Whereas, say, buying something for somebody else, giving to other people, gives a much better long-term satisfaction and and long-lived happiness. Now, there is also, they've done science on 
how naturally happy people are. And they found that, that some people do have a, a naturally higher baseline for happiness. Uh, so there was one large uh, study of, of more than 2,000 twins, which suggested that about 50% of life satisfaction was due to genetics, 10% due to external events, and 40% down to what we do, individual activities. And I, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I often, when I see people in surgery, they will say, well, I feel unhappy because of this event or that event or this going badly. But actually, the evidence is that that's only a tenth of what contributes to our overall happiness. That's very interesting. I hadn't understood all of that. So some of us have a different baseline. So that's where the feeling, that's where the sort of saying of glass half full or glass half empty comes. Some of us are, is, is this to do the same as optimism and happiness? Do they feed into each other? Yes, very much so. And there's, there's other interesting evidence that people who perceive themselves as being lucky, actually better things happen to them. And so you get this positive feedback loop. And of course, if you are naturally optimistic and look on the best, sometimes you'll be let down. But on the whole, it will reinforce itself that life is good. In some ways, this feeds into that wonderful placebo effect of, of making things happen and go well because we want them to go well. And the pop song, which I think we've mentioned before from very many years ago, um, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. So if we focus on the negative, we'll, that's what we'll get. But if we focus on the positive, we get more of it. I was going to, I thought you were going to quote Ken Dodd uh, song about happiness, which maybe should be the, uh, the outro uh, music to this, this particular podcast. But yes, absolutely. In popular culture, this idea of looking on the positive. And of course, that's what CBT uh, tries to do. Cognitive behavioral therapy is about teaching us to look on the glass half full. We'll come back to that a little bit later, if we may. But are there any challenges to achieving happiness? I mean, why are we not all happy all the time? What 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 are there things which which help us in this? Well, apart us. from the fact that some of us are naturally not blessed with a a happiness gene, um, there are ways in which we we try to achieve happiness in in ways that uh, are unhelpful. So, for instance, we can value the wrong things. Uh, so a lot of us value money, status, material possessions, uh, pursuing uh, short-term goals. And actually, that's, that's not that helpful. That gives us that short-term hit of hedonia, but it wears off very quickly. So valuing, for instance, goals that result in more free time or enjoyable experiences have a much happier, highness, uh, higher happiness reward. So some of this is related to attitude towards life rather than accumulating things. It's more about the quality of who we are and how we approach life, because um, here we are broadcasting from Somerset in England in 2021, and um, we're fortunate in Britain on the whole to have a, a level of affluence, which isn't the same around the world, yet some cultures who are materially less well-off can be much happier? Yes, yes, there's very interesting evidence of that. So they've looked at whether money buys happiness. And if you don't have enough money, then getting enough of it to be able to uh, exist and, and live definitely improves your happiness. Beyond that, if you accumulate more and more wealth, your happiness still goes up, but at a slower and slower rate. 
so that by the time you're you're getting up to your your first million or whatever, getting the second million gives you just a tiny extra bit of happiness. Uh, but of course, in this country, we're bombarded, aren't we, with adverts by companies selling things, which quite naturally seek us to persuade us, seek to persuade us that buying their products will bring us happiness. So we're we're seduced into the wrong kind of things. Well, marketing is often often based on fear based or envy based or shame based, and and keeping keeping up with the Joneses. The bit about the million, Peter, I think that uh, that might apply to a very small percentage of our audience, and certainly, <laughs> certainly yes, doesn't not, apply doesn't apply widely here. And uh, and I, I suspect if one has got rather more wealth than, than than the majority, you start to worry about losing it. Whereas if you haven't got so much, and but anyway, hey ho. One can pontificate in all sorts of ways. And I think I'll put myself down a rabbit hole or do something unfortunate if I go on any further. I, well, I think I was I went into this researching it, hoping that uh, the richer people got, the, the less happy they would be. And uh, sadly, the evidence doesn't stack that up. So richness is interesting because they, they talk about people on their deathbed uh, at times. And a lot of people are said to say things like um, in their last last few days, I wish I hadn't. I, I, if I had my time again, I'd have spent less time at the office, um, or I would have focused less on money. But, but actually, what really matters is the quality of the relationships that I've managed to build in my life. How does that fit into happiness? Relationships, yes, very much so. Again, a lot of people will pursue wealth and will pursue hedonia, will, will pursue that that short term enjoyment, and not really count social support, but having friends and loved ones that you can turn to for support uh, has found that this plays a really important role in subjective well-being. For example, one study uh, found that perceptions of social support were responsible for almost half of a person's level of happiness, which is quite surprising. It's important to remember that when it does come to social support, quality is more important than quantity. And particularly in these days of social media, uh, we like to think that having more likes on Twitter or followers or uh, Instagram uh, likes will, will make us happier. And it doesn't. So having a few close and trusted friends will have a much greater impact on overall happiness and having lots of casual acquaintances. So don't just try and ratchet up the number of virtual friends on your social media platform. Try and actually put effort and time and care into some real friendships. So that's quality time with connecting with other people as a human being. Uh, and of course, that's the, that's the first of the five ways to well-being, to connect. Yeah. Connect to others, uh, connect to nature. And Absolutely. How, how about happiness as an endpoint? Um, as something that we should aim for or not? This is a, another rabbit hole that we go down. So it seems to be that if you search out happiness as an endpoint, it disappears off uh, into the sunset and, and you never achieve it. So again, there was a study showing that people who valued happiness also tended to feel the least satisfied with their lives, which is interesting. So happiness is something that we almost stumble on while we're doing other things, if we try and actually achieve it uh, and make it a conscious goal, unfortunately, that seems to be uh, self-fulfilling. And happiness, it, they say, it, it, if you try and make it a goal, uh, it, it just goes 
completely out of sight and so it becomes unattainable. So then you become unhappy. That's a very interesting reflection. We live in a world where where we accumulate, where we do tasks, where we're we're often driven, um, and um, where the sympathetic nervous system, the alert system that we're often on, makes us task focused. And of course, the workplace can make us task focused. And so we sort of tick off a list of of things and achievements. And that's a sort of a human doing approach. It sounds as though what you're suggesting is more a human being approach to enjoy that journey and to to deepen the quality of of each moment uh, that we we have and see what happens there. Could you expand on that a little bit, please? Yes. So uh, they've looked at how we can achieve happiness without making it our goal. And you're absolutely right when you say about experiences being more important than things. You talked earlier about uh, um, what we tend to say at the end of life. And of course, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but it's said, isn't it, that Queen Elizabeth I on her deathbed said, my kingdom for a moment of time. In other words, she'd give up everything that she owned to have just that little bit more uh, enjoyment of, of experiences and of life. Um, But what they've suggested is that rather than having happiness as our goal, we could focus on building and cultivating the sort of relationships and life that bring fulfillment and satisfaction. So again, it comes back to that that fulfillment, uh, meaning rather than pleasure. Interesting. The Dalai Lama is quoted as saying, I believe that the very purpose of life is to seek happiness, and, and maybe he means to seek the things that bring us fulfilment, and happiness, as you say, comes as a byproduct. And um, that is clear, whether one believes in religion or not, that whether one believes in this religion or that religion, we're all seeking something better in life. So I think the very motion of our life is towards happiness. But I, I think I would agree with you, Peter, that the happiness is a byproduct of fulfilment and and as, as some people would say, prosaically or poetically years ago, following our souls dictate whatever that should be. Mm. Um, um, following our path in life, although sometimes it's very difficult to work out what your path is meant to be. Absolutely. And I think if there's one thing I'd want to leave people with, it, it's back to this thing that we've said at the beginning, seek meaning, not pleasure. And, and the happiness will come as a byproduct. So what positive steps can we take to actually improve our happiness without actually trying to grasp it? Where, where can it be the byproduct of, of healthy practices in our life? Well, again, I looked at the research and I'm, I'm pleased to say that a lot of the, the things that were found to achieve happiness uh, were things that we've talked about on many occasions in these podcasts, Andrew. Um, so we've looked at the pitfalls. And, and then the researchers have looked at what actually we can do to improve happiness. So we've already touched on, on the first one, which is about pursuing intrinsic goals. So achieving goals, uh, particularly ones focused on personal growth, community, giving to others, making our lives feel worthwhile can help boost happiness. So research suggests that pursuing these types of intrinsically motivated goals, as, as they call it, uh, increases happiness much more than pursuing extrinsic extrinsic goals like gaining money or status. Now, Peter, I'm just going to ask you to say what the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic is before I have to get my de- dictionary out to remind myself. <laughs> so intrinsic means coming from within. So it's things that 
we feel are worth doing rather than things which show that other people would comment on and say, oh, well done, or, or things that signal to other people uh, that we're, we're doing something. So it's... Uh, we're doing it for the inner motivation rather than for the external experience. Expe- external appearance. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. That's, that's very helpful. I've, I've always wondered what the difference between the two was. Thank you. <laughs> and and how, about, how about taking pleasure in, in, in the present moment? Yes, and, and certainly, you know, although I've kind of been uh, dissing pleasure, I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't say it's a bad thing completely. It only becomes a bad thing if we pursue it uh, to the detriment of other things. But living in the moment is, is something I don't know about you, I'm really bad at. But, but they found that people become so focused on accumulating things and over-earning that they lose track of actually enjoying what they're doing in that moment. So rather than falling into the trap of mindlessly accumulate, it's much better to practice gratitude for the things you have, enjoy the process as you go, live in the moment. Thank you. And we know that gratitude and wonder to say thank you for whatever, whatever, say something for, thank you for something. It doesn't matter what it's for, for, for our bodies, for our health, for the day. Um, and to wonder at something are the two most powerful producers of positive neurochemicals in the body as regards frames of mind. And when we do find ourselves in, in negative states of mind, what, what sort of things can help us then? Well, we've already said that, that there is this genetic disparity. So some people have a, a naturally negative bias. And that means that they tend to pay more attention to bad things rather than good things. And this is really interesting, isn't it? Because we all have a mix of good and bad things happen to us through the day. But some of us tend to focus more on the negative and the bad things. And that means that we will then interpret our day as not going well and being miserable. And it will reinforce why we feel unhappy. And of course, that may, as well as being an intrinsic, uh, coming back to that word intrinsic, uh, genetic tendency, it may also be framed by life experiences. So people who've had really bad things happen to them, particularly in early life, will naturally be on the lookout for those negative things. So this negativity bias can really mess up our attempts to be happy. And what's even worse is that if you have this, you can learn to discount the positive. So uh, this is called cognitive distortion. It's where people focus on the negative. And even if something good comes along, they'll t- tend to ignore it. And that will, again, get into this self-fulfilling prophecy of negative thoughts. So uh, classically, oh, I only got 99%. I'm a, I'm a bad person. I didn't get every single question right in the exam or, or other things like that. More recently, I, I, uh, we had um, Olympics, didn't we? And there was somebody who was very disappointed that they only got a silver medal, and we're only the second best at their sport in the whole world. That's amazing, absolutely. Uh, especially for an armchair uh, exerciser like myself. Um, I do enjoy watching some of the sports on television, and it's easier than participating. But um, that'll bring us to our next point about exercise in a minute. But just going back to that negativity, are there any therapies or therapeutic approaches that can help us when we've got negative, persistent negative frames of mind? And... I'm very keen not to medicalize this. So definitely it's not a question of taking tablets. We've mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, 
there are lots of other talking therapies around. I, I wouldn't want to say that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is, is the only one that works, but it's the one that's got the greatest evidence behind it. And I think it's important to say that doing these sort of exercises is not about ignoring the bad things. You accept them, but you try and take a more balanced, realistic uh, look at events. And it allows you to notice patterns in your thinking and challenge negative thoughts. So a lot of us will have this unconscious bias and an unconscious tendency to look on the bad. And what Talking Therapist does is to help us become aware of this and realising that that's us influencing our perception. That's really helpful. Thank you. And thinking about activity, thinking about exercise, which of course is not lycra necessary or, 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 or being an Ironman or doing an ultra thing, how much, how much activity or exercise do we have to do to make a difference each day? Very little, I'm pleased to say. Um, it, it's about building it up from wherever you are. So again, they've looked at the benefits of exercise and it's a little bit like money. Uh, if you go from virtually no exercise to a little bit, then you get a big gain in happiness. But then the more you do, uh, the, the less those increases uh, happen. So, and, and the neurochemicals are endorphins and serotonin and others that we get and, and the adrenaline, which gives us a good hit as well. Yes. And, and it, it has a double effect. So we know, for instance, that it makes negative thoughts and, and clinical depression uh, less likely to happen for the, the reasons that you've said. But we've also found that it has this positive effect of making uh, people happier. So uh, there was, a, again, a piece of research uh, looking at it, and it found a consistent positive link. Uh, so they found that even a little bit of exercise produces a happiness boost. So people who are physically active for as little as 10 minutes a day or who worked out only once a week had higher levels of happiness than people who never exercised. That's really interesting. Thank you. We mentioned gratitude and wonder just now. Could you just tell us a little bit about gratitude? Mm. What does the research tell us? It, it's funny, isn't it? I, this isn't something that before I looked at the uh, research evidence, I thought played any part. Um, but yet, sure enough, there was a one study, for instance, people were asked to engage in a writing exercise for 10 to 20 minutes each night before bed. Some were instructed to write about daily hassles, some about, about neutral events, and some about things they were grateful for. And the research found that people who had written about gratitude had increased positive emotions, increased subjective happiness, and improved life satisfaction. So the study authors suggested that keeping a gratitude list is an easy, affordable, simple, and pleasant way to boost your mood. And setting aside just a few minutes each night to write down or think about things in your life uh, that you are grateful for could have a significant positive effect. That's really helpful. And the Shiny Minds app, which is available to everybody in the Somerset healthcare system uh, through somersetemotionalwellbeing.org website is available uh, and that will help us do that. Anything to say about purpose in life? Yes. So this comes back to the, the meaning thing, doesn't it? So if we feel our life has meaning or purpose, then that's hugely positive. And again, research found that people who felt they had a purpose had better well-being and felt more fulfilled. So a sense of purpose 
involves seeing your life as having goals, direction, and meaning. And as well as improving happiness, it also tends to promote healthier behaviors. So it doesn't have to be some lofty ambition. It can be something very simple. And of course, a lot of us are limited by uh, physical disabilities or restrictions in other ways. So we can't we can't look to become a gold medal uh, Olympic winner, as, as some people do. But we can find small things in our life that give us a sense of purpose. The five ways to well-being uh, as we draw to a close are connect, be active, take notice, learn and give. And I think we've covered those fairly well, really, Peter. Is there well, that's you'd like to add? A, a really interesting list, Andrew. So um, I made a list as I was going on uh, of things that, that allowed you to find a self, sense of purpose. And the list that I came up was explore your interests and passions, engage in social and altruistic causes, work to address injustices, and look for new things that you might want to learn about. And it's interesting to map that onto your list, isn't it, and see the overlap. Absolutely. And the one thing we've hardly mentioned yet, but we live in this beautiful county of Somerset, is nature. Connection to nature has so much value for our well-being. The sunshine um, lifts people's mood. And of course, even if the days are short and it's cloudy, there's always a sun high up above the clouds. But actual connection to nature, to hills, to landscape, to water, to, to trees, to flowers, there's a neuroscience now that shows us how this benefits our neurochemistry and just helps us feel better. We're not absolutely sure how and why, but it certainly does. Absolutely. And of course, if we're interested in nature, we can also do small things within our community to try and improve how beautiful the countryside is, how nice nature is. We can clean up litter. We can do all these, these other things. Uh, and that has the, the double benefit of all the neuroscience that you talk about improving our sense of wonder, but also giving us a sense of purpose. Peter, I'd like to thank you very much and say how much I've enjoyed this particular <laughs> website because talking about happiness has given me a big smile on my face uh, to, a, to a level that not every subject does. So thank you ever so much for, for researching that and sharing with us today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for, I can see the smile on your face and I've got a smile on mine and I, I hope we put a few smiles on our listeners' faces as well. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.